Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to the Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello and welcome in to our latest and greatest episode of... Bavarian Podcast Works. This is kind of like a Dare Ausblick, but that's probably what things are going to go like for hopefully the next couple of weeks as Bayern continues their way through the rest of the UEFA Champions League. We are now currently in the quarterfinals. We are facing off against FC Barcelona. Our second half will be talking mostly about them with somebody from our sister blog, Barca Blaugranas, but for now, we have a round of 16 second leg win against Chelsea to break down, and to do that with me, I'm joined by Tom Adams. Tom, are you ready to get this one started? I 100% am, and I have to agree with you. We have to put emphasis on the hopefully part uh, because we don't want to jinx anything, but I'm just very thrilled and very excited to be along for this ride that's been Bayern Munich's season thus far because it's been an incredible journey, and you know this team is just playing fantastically under Hansi Flick. Absolutely no jinxing at all, but I don't think it counts as jinxing if we talk about how phenomenal the Bayern win against Chelsea was. It was a 4-1 win, started things off very early in the 10th minute with a penalty from Robert Lewandowski. It was a great through ball into Lewandowski from Serge Gnabry. Willy Caballero dives out, tries to get get the ball, at least that's probably what his defense was, because in reality, the ball was past Caballero by the time that he dove in and grabbed at the legs of Lewandowski. It didn't even look that close at all. Penalty was given, yellow card to Caballero was given, Lewandowski does what he normally does in converting the penalty. He blasts it into the top right corner, makes that one nothing for Bayern, 4 nothing on aggregate. It went to 5 nothing on aggregate just 14 minutes later. Thomas Müller went in for a challenge on Mateo Kovacic, which at first glance I honestly thought was going to be a foul. Second glance, it looked like Thomas got the ball, uh... Kovacic just did a poor job distributing it, but I'll also put some blame on Reese James there. You can't be throwing it into a player that's got a lot of pressure facing him. Anyways, the ball got clattered forward. Uh, Lewandowski was able to get it. He waited, waited, laid it off to Ivan Perisic, who slotted it under Caballero to make it 5-0 on aggregate, 2-0 for this game. Just four minutes later... Callum Hudson Odoi rocketed a pass, uh, rocketed a shot past Manuel Neuer. However, he received a pass from an offside Tammy Abraham. That goal after VAR was called off. But Abraham did get some revenge in the 44th minute. Emerson played a beautiful low ball in. Neuer couldn't exactly get a good hold on it. He couldn't deflect it away either, so it kind of just bobbled out in front of Tammy Abraham, who really just only needed to put a foot to it to put it into Byron's net. And so that's where it would stand at halftime, 5-1 on aggregate. Bit of a clotting, boring second half to start out, but 76th minute, Corentin Tolisso scored in one of his comebacks. 
Lewandowski was out wide for some reason, whipped in a beautiful cross to Coco, beautiful finish in the net, 6-1 on aggregate, and I should also mention, before that goal happened, Nicolas Sula came back on his first appearance in a long time for this Bayern team, it's good to see him out there healthy, it's good to see him out there playing. 84th minute, Alvaro Odriazola finally does something good for this Bayern team. He gets his first points for the team. If we're going by hockey terms, assists count to points. So Odriazola makes this phenomenal run. He's like 10, 15 yards behind the pass that's played to him, and he runs it down beautifully. He's able to whip it in. Lewandowski gets a header on it scores it's seven to one on aggregate four to one is the final score one of the things that i noticed one of the things i tweeted out afterwards combining these two legs and the two legs in the group stage that byron played against tottenham byron has an aggregate of london clubs that they've played so far they have an aggregate score of 17 to 4 that's an unbelievable scoreline. And the thing that you have to take into account is that one of those games was a 7-2, and then you had this game, which was a 1. So that means that there was one goal for Chelsea, at least. So that means that there was that shutout 3 nothing. Those remaining goals came against a useless game against Tottenham. So, Tom, just give me your thoughts on this Chelsea game, what you saw that you liked what you saw that you thought might have needed a little bit of improvement if there was any, and just generally how you think this team that hasn't really played a competitive game since the DFB Pokal Finale at the end of, or at the very beginning of July looks looked to you the other day. Well, I think I can speak for a majority of Bayern fans who's really the only concern coming into this match. We had to deal with the absence of Benjamin Pavar. Uh, at the right back position, and also Kingsley Coman uh, in midfield. So granted, we already had that large 3-0 cushion from that uh, you know, infamous first leg at Stanford Bridge where we absolutely bossed Chelsea off the park. I think we really just wanted to see uh, how Bayern was going to adapt to having to push Kimmich back into that right back spot, uh, bring Thiago back into the midfield uh, alongside Leon Goretzka because... We all know so much of the success in the latter parts of the season were that were excuse me was that double pivot of Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich in the midfield. The understanding between the two, uh, positionally and, and communication, you know, knowing exactly where uh, one another is going to be at all times, what spaces to drop into, who can go forward when, who wants to stay back when. The understanding has been fantastic, and even in the beginning parts of the season, we. Uh, you know, we had seen the triple pivot often of Goretzka, Thiago, and Kimmich. Uh, and I think in large parts, they did a very good job of, um, you know, keeping the uh, positional fluidity. Uh, I was a little unsure of what I made of Thiago's performance. It's kind of a bizarre circumstance for him. He's not a player who's been getting a lot of minutes as of late. He's been heavily linked with a move away from Bayern. We saw a lot of those flashes where he would make those quick turns, quick changes of direction to give give himself some space, uh, a couple of very clever passes, threading some needles. But I thought he did needlessly give away possession uh, at some at some times. And 
it was one of those concerning things pretty much for Tammy Abraham's goal, as you were uh, just describing earlier. I think it was a matter of uh, Emerson had got the ball kind of in between a couple of players, and it wound up being Kimmich and Tiago who were right there to kind of close them down. And I honestly think it was just a matter of them not wanting to pick up a yellow and going heavy on a challenge. I think we saw that oftentimes, especially when Chelsea were in and around Byron's penalty area because they were both walking disciplinary tightropes as far as yellow cards, uh, putting their involvement in the next round uh, in jeopardy. Um, Neuer as well, uh, tough to get a, a beat on his performance. There was a couple of errors I thought he made, not that he was tested very often, but you know, looking away from the cons and the collective pros of this performance, I just, it was complete dominance from Bayern. You know, I pointed out that I think both Emerson, Emerson and Reese James did just could not deal with uh, the pace of both Kimmich and Davies coming forward. It seems that every time Davies uh, made a run forward and Paris and Gnabry were interchanging flanks that there was just so much space for Davies to exploit. Goretzka did a phenomenal job of dropping into those vacated spaces that were left in behind when any of our fullbacks would go forward. And I just thought it was fantastic understanding. You can tell that Flick the Bayern training staff have been hammering this home all season. Everyone knows where everyone needs to be, where everyone is going to be. Um, I was even listening to Stylecast on the way home from work today, and something I didn't pick up on, I was watching a, uh, a feed from Galavision, so I couldn't understand the commentators other than when they said goal five times, um, and the picture was very grainy, so it was kind of hard to keep up with, but one of the things that uh, Honingstein and his uh, co-hosts were talking about is the amount of verbal communication that they heard uh, between the Bayern team and two of the specifics they picked out. Thomas Müller shouting out tactical instructions, telling his teammates where they should be at all times, even when they had uh, a two-goal cushion. You know, he didn't want that intensity to drop. Uh, David Alaba, the quote-unquote defensive chief, as coined by Hansi Flick, was constantly telling Davies uh, and Kimmich where to be if they would get slightly out of position. Um, and they also said they were talking to uh, Hermann Gerland, Flick, um, Holger Broich, the uh, the club's professor, Holger Broich, the uh, the club's fitness coach, and just hearing how excited they are to work with these players and the mood of the squad showing up to training every day, how excited they are to be playing with one another, how much fun they're having, and I think it's just translating onto the pitch, and we see it, and it's paid dividend, you know. Odds-on favorites to, to win the Champions League right now. I know you said there's no jinxes, but, I mean, we are playing uh, phenomenal football at the moment, and, you know, I'm not afraid of any opponent coming up uh, against us, and I think we can really take it to Barcelona and uh, have them batten down the hatches. We're going to go ahead and we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking with Josh Sutter of Barca Blaugranas about their team their end to their season and what we should expect later on from them stay with us welcome back and now we are joined by josh sutter of barca blagranas uh and their podcasting division we're going to be talking about the matchup ahead josh first of all how are you doing today i'm doing great man how are you I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty well for myself as well. Uh, so we're here to talk mostly about Barcelona, about their season, how they uh, have been doing some of the players that uh, we might expect to see in this game coming up. So start off by telling me how the season went. You came in to defend a La Liga title. Uh, it didn't necessarily go the way that you wanted. At least you got farther in the Champions League than Real Madrid, though. Yeah. Uh, 
tell me how that season went for you guys. Yeah, so I mean, th- this season has felt, I think like a lot of people, um, has felt like a couple of seasons stacked on top of each other. Um, like I guess 12 months ago when the preseason was starting, I actually, I was able to see Barcelona play Napoli in uh, Miami, Florida. And um, I went to the game and was able to cover it and everything. And like, even in like the post-match stuff, um, it was just like a confident Ernesto Valverde. Like there were random questions about like, hey, are you guys getting Neymar? But it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of confidence. It was excitement. Griezmann was there. Um, it was his, I think his first or second match in a Barcelona uniform um, since joining the club. And it, the air was just, it was great because we were in Miami, right? But everyone was confident. Everyone felt great. And then I think you fast forward 12 months um, to today and the amount of stuff that has happened from Barcelona perspective, like obviously you had the managerial change from Valverde to Kike Setien. Um, Lionel Messi's satisfaction with the club has been on a decline, I think, for a while, but it has shown its face more um, more prevalently in this season than it ever has before. Um, he's been more outspoken. Um, both do... There was a lot of stuff earlier, like in March or January through March, when um, a lot of the stuff came out that the president was like reportedly paying social media um, social media companies to slander like the club and some of the players, and that came out later. It was proven not to be true. Uh, Messi's dissatisfaction with the board. Um, and then you had stuff like you know Usman Dembele's injuries, repeated injuries have sucked, and then Antoine Griezmann, his form has been up and down. Um, there's been moments where you're like, yes, this is why we paid all this money, and then there's other moments where it's like, this is why people didn't want to pay all this money. And so it's been a very inconsistent Barcelona season. Um, they still finished second in La Liga, which is great. Um, they're still here in the Champions League, ready to have a chance against Bayern Munich, which is great. Um, but in terms of, I guess, the Barcelona narrative this season has been an absolute just like cluster and disappointing for a lot of different reasons. But here we are with the chance of the Champions League. So I guess I guess we're good. I never heard that story about having the uh, club and the players get slandered on social media. I, I don't necessarily think that Bartomeu is the best president in the world but i can't imagine any president that would go out there and purposely want to have his club and his own players be slandered yeah there there, there was like a hot minute where uh um and i guess like even not like a conspiracy theorist or anything but even i'm just kind of like yeah i still kind of think he did it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it was it, it was a bit of a mess there was like a board member who who was quoted as saying someone at the club had like their hand in the purse and it was implied that it was the president's um there's just there was a lot of drama that was unnecessary and frankly preventable um that's both upper managements and the players kind of got involved with where it was just like very un Barcelona like and um it it, kind of set the tone for the second half of the season and then obviously everything with COVID happened um you got a little bit of a reset and just as like Kike Setien was like starting to get comfortable um there was obviously the break and now it's like there were rumors still are rumors that he is on his way out that Messi's unhappy with him and there just hasn't really been a chance for him to put a system in place and so there's always like that constant looming Chavi presence over his shoulder. And so things are just kind of a mess. Um, the, the win against Napoli obviously helped, uh, but in classic Barcelona fashion, all it takes is one match for things to spiral out of control again. So let's talk about Kike Setien. He came in in January after Valverde got fired. Uh, has the transition 
between those two managers been tougher than it has been in the past? Have them have there been completely different styles of play from the two managers that sets the team apart from each other? Or yeah, I mean something so, completely different to that. So I mean, Kike is obviously trying to do like the Johan Cruyff thing with the open, flowing Barcelona style of play, and I think Valverde was a lot more conservative. Um, in terms of the transition, I don't think there really has been like a great transition because it was mid-season. Um, I think the only really, quote, impact player that Barcelona was able to bring in was, <laughs> and this is funny to say impact, but uh, Mar- Martin Braithwaite, um, who actually was like a, a very helpful presence in light of uh, Luis Suarez being out um, earlier this season. He provided a lot of pace and play. Um, but I think in, in terms of any sort of transition, the that transition hasn't had a chance to take place yet. And I think even with this awkward transfer window, that's not really happening because of Barcelona's budgetary restrictions, it's not going to happen. And I think it's going to have to happen on the fly with the short break they're going to have after the champions league ends. And I I don't know if Kike is ever going to really get a fair chance um, to implement any sort of system or transition away. Anything that he doesn't like about this current Barcelona team it just doesn't feel like he's going to get a fair shake of things. It feels like he's going to get maybe another six months. And if Barcelona aren't, you know, if they don't either win the Champions League or perform exceptionally well at the beginning of La Liga, um, it feels like he's just going to be on his way out as we get closer to 2021. I want to talk about Chavi for a little bit because I think it's very rare that a club would bring in a former player that hasn't really performed for a team in top flight league and done well and then expect great results out of them right i see a chelsea kit on your uh on your darth vader in the background there right i think it was incredibly special what lampard was able to do with chelsea this season and i also think it was extremely lucky that after one season with darby county he was able to bring a top four result to a team that had transfer ban and that he didn't necessarily have a lot of experience uh, dealing with, not necessarily in terms of the board, but in terms of like the talent of the players on the field, it's vastly different between Chelsea and Derby County, right? You see it at Juventus now where they fired Maurizio Zari and now they're bringing in Andrea Pirlo. That may rear its ugly head. And now Barcelona apparently want to try to have Chavi come in as their next manager whenever that happens you have a lot of confidence that he'd be able to bring quality performances and be able to work with the side well I mean everyone wants uh their Zinedine Zidane right and I think the worst thing um from a Barcelona side that could have happened was Lampard being as successful as he has been because I think he would have been the example of like whoa like you probably shouldn't bring in your club legend like unless it's perfect and I'm so happy they didn't bring him in uh, when they fired Valverde. And I think that was a lot of Xavi. I think Barcelona would have fired him. Um, Xavi said no. And I think even today I wrote a quick piece this morning with some Xavi quotes talking about how now is not the right time to join Barcelona. And I think his decision has proven um, has been proven correct to be patient because I don't think he would succeed right now in this current Barcelona team. And I think that's partially due to 
and I've talked about this recently, is like the presence that Lionel Messi has and continues to grow as he ages. Um, kind of that LeBron James-esque, like year by year, like kind of like, are we succeeding? Are we doing the things the correct way? And I think um, even though Zidane was able to flourish at Real Madrid with Cristiano Ronaldo still there, his Ronaldo's presence wasn't the same as Messi's. Um, Real Madrid were willing and did let him go. And Zidane was still able to succeed. Uh, I think for Xavi to succeed, I, I I would be surprised if Xavi were able to come in and succeed at Barcelona with Lionel Messi still there. Um, when I say success, I don't mean winning La Liga maybe once or second place because Barcelona could, you know, have me managing the team and probably get second place in La Liga without trying all that. Third place at least, third place um, without trying all that much and. I think the circumstances have to be right for Xavi to come in and succeed as manager. I just don't think those circumstances are now or will be anytime soon. I want to talk about the midfield for Barcelona because if somebody hasn't been following Barcelona, uh, fans of my podcast that haven't been following Barcelona for a while, it's a very, very different Barcelona midfield than from when Bayern last played them a couple of years ago in the Champions League when Jerome Boateng had his ankles stolen locked in Fort Knox and never to be seen again. It's not the midfield of Sergio Busquets, Xavi and Iniesta anymore. In fairness, I don't even necessarily know if any Barcelona fan can tell who whose midfield it truly is, I guess other than Frankie De Jong. Uh you saw in the f- previous match a midfield of Sergio Roberto who is mostly plied his trade as a right back, Ivan Rakitic and Frankie De Jong. There's been rumors about Rakitic and other players such as Arturo Vidal potentially leaving Barcelona. There was no sign of Sergio Busquets or Vidal on the bench, but you did have youngsters like Ricky Puig and Ludovic Rice. So is this team still trying to find balance of young and old in their midfield, or do you think that in a matter of months after a transfer window has gone through, we're going to see more dedication to the younger players on this midfield for this Barcelona team. Yeah. I mean, so upper management at Barcelona has in recent kind of weeks has prioritized youth. They've made it clear how important youth are that they're not going to sell the younger players. Um, I think for this match, I'm interested to see like the rumored four, four, two, that's apparently going to happen with the young Busquets, Vidal, and Roberto in the midfield. Um, there, there's not going to be a ton of transition. I don't think in the Barcelona midfields this summer. I think that the hope was that they, when they were trying to get Latero Martinez, and I think they've given up on that. Um, there were constant rumors about like I think half the midfield was pretty much on the transfer list, and. I think now that that ship has sailed, I think we're going to see kind of the same Barcelona midfield for the next at least 12 months um, until next summer, or at least, I guess, 10 months, whatever, until next summer's transfer window opens up. Um, I don't expect to see. The only player I could see maybe moving on is Rakitic, but he's been rumored to leave for a couple years, and the price just keeps getting lower and lower. And at this point, I don't know what level of productivity Barcelona would hope to get by selling him and buying someone else. If anything, they would just play more of the youth. So I don't really think there's going to be much of a change in Barcelona's midfield. I think like a lot of bigger clubs, I think they're kind of stuck with who they have right now, for better or worse, and um, just due to the budget. And until that changes next year, I think we're kind of going to get to see what we've seen this year with just rotation. You hope people stay healthy and then, you know, you sprinkle in youth here and there. 
Uh, my next question all I have written down is Griezmann, has he really been that bad? Because I think a lot of people <laughs> that um, like very loosely follow Barcelona just know that he hasn't been performing up to his standards that he had from Atleti last year. So could you quantify that for us? Like, what did you expect out of Antoine Griezmann coming in this season versus what has he been producing on the field? I actually don't think, uh, I don't think he's been that bad. I just don't think he was the right player to bring into this like Messi Suarez combination. Um, I, I know he's played winger in previous roles. Um, I always liked Griezmann best as a central attacker. Uh, and I just don't think that, especially with Messi and Suarez, like, I don't think there's a place for him to be that central attacker. Um, I think if anything, he was, again, this is just my opinion, right? Like, I think he was kind of his only like really route to success at Barcelona long-term was as the Suarez replacement. And it's clear that he's not viewed as that there. Um, so I don't think he's been as bad as people make him out to be like, he's probably going to not start in this match and that's going to look bad. Just like it looked bad when he wasn't starting crucial matches near the end of the Liga season. Um, I don't think there's any world where he's sold anytime soon, especially given his, like he's been pretty healthy. Um, and as, like, like we talked about with the midfield, right? Like there's not Barcelona's attack. Isn't going to change all that much. Like they're not getting Lotero. They're not getting Neymar. They need a guy like Griezmann and they need, Dembele and they need these guys to be around and healthy and so I don't think Griezmann's been as bad as he's made out to be um I don't think he fits with what Kike wants to do right now um and and like in the immediate now and that's going to mean he's probably going to sit on the bench for this match maybe come in late and if they somehow advance like I don't see him getting consistent playing time um the rest of the season with how Kike wants to play so I next year will be the telltale. Like as soon as they kick off La Liga, if after like a small training camp, if Kike is ready to introduce him into like the main scheme, um, then that's when we'll really be able to tell because this season's just been messy. And let's talk about let's talk about him. Let's talk about the well. Okay, so it, it, I meant M E S S Y. Like it's been messy, like gross, but it's also just been messy because messy. Yeah, it was a yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to do that, but yes, it has been messy in more ways than one. <laughs> But let's talk about Lionel Messi for a second here. His goal last game was absolutely insane. I think it's probably one of the best that he's ever scored, especially yep. considering the fact that he was practically laying down on the pitch when he scored it. Has he still really been carrying this team, and do you think that's good or not? Uh, no, it's not good. And from a goal scoring, like when Barcelona needs something late, it's still just like everyone looks to Messi. Um and I think that's both from like the fan base and uh, management to some to some point. And I don't I don't know whose fault that is. I think it's a combination of all of the above. Um, I don't think they've set him up to have a team around him that can support him late in matches. And I don't. It's not. <laughs> Here's, it, it's like it's not a good thing and it's also not a bad thing because it's like if any, you want anyone to be in that role it's it's messy um more than ronaldo more than anyone else in the world you want it to be messy because he can randomly do things like he did against napoli he doesn't do them as often anymore which i think uh creates problems for barcelona because they're about to play bayern munich and if no one else is if they're not going to have a cohesive offensive voice in this match messi can't do that 
two or three times, like we talked about earlier. I, I, I'm not confident he can do that two or three times. And, you know, shame on me if I doubt Messi and he pulls off a hat trick in this match. Um, I'm fairly confident that's not going to happen. So I think it's it's fostered itself into something where it's a bad thing. It just doesn't show its head that often because Barcelona are still more talented than most teams they play. They're not more talented than this Bayern Munich team. So we're going to see kind of the make or break here. I guess the last thing I want to ask before predictions is Messi has come out in the past and he said that he doesn't want to disappoint the fans. He doesn't want to disappoint the fans of Barcelona and that every year the Champions League is a goal of his. Irregardless of who they would have faced in this round, right? Do you think that the current form of this Barcelona team is good enough to win a Champions League? Uh, with who's left in the Champions League? Sure, why not? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I think they could. Um, frankly, for for the overall like future of the team, um, it's probably best if they don't. As weird as that sounds, like I, I don't think they need to deceive themselves into thinking that like what they're doing right now is working. But if they do win the Champions League, I guess and get second in the league, I guess you could argue it's working. It's just like they seem so dysfunctional right now, and like I guess like I'm thinking of my sports team, like I think of my kids right now, and like when they're dysfunctional, the last thing you want to see is like immediate success, right? Like you need to learn something. Um, but I, I do think that I think that they're good enough just because like this is like it's a weird champions league right and so like a roll of the dice in one weird match where someone randomly gets a red card and it's oh crap okay and i think they could do it will they i i don't think so but they definitely could all right so with all that being said what are your expectations coming into this match and uh what's your prediction for what's going to happen my prediction and expectations i i think i said earlier when we talked i said i think i said 3-1 byron and that's that's still how i feel um that hasn't changed uh i think byron are a, a better team holistically i don't think barcelona's defense can really hold up to um i think they've done like a decent job of playing against players like Lewandowski, but I, I know it's like he's Lewandowski and I don't necessarily think that Barcelona are going to be able to create a ton of offensive chances against this Byron team. Like we talked about um, on the Barca podcast about how stacked Byron's defensive midfield and uh, center backs are right now. And I just don't think that they're going to be able to match up with them and score that many goals. I think in our previous discussion, I said three, two. So I think I'm going to keep to that. Um, I just, I just honestly don't know how well Lionel Messi is going to come out this game, and that's really the one thing that probably scares me more than anything else in this world. It's a resurgent Lionel Messi coming up against this Bayern Munich team. Um, so to me, I think Bayern's backline for the most part is going to hold. I think the midfield for the most part is going to hold. Um, I think Bayern's going to get their three goals early. I think I think like by the 65th minute they've scored all three of their goals and then have two like really quick ones from uh Barcelona like at the very end to put a little bit of pressure on but outside of that I don't think I I I I'm hoping that Bayern's going to move on and then maybe we can see the matchup that arguably should have been the final of this in Manchester City versus uh Bayern Munich but that's for later for now thank you very much josh for coming on i appreciate it um 
it's it's been great talking to you so uh thanks for your insight yeah man thanks for having me on and uh hopefully hopefully the match lives up to the uh lives up to the expectation we both have for it (laughs) yeah of course uh everybody out there thank you for listening be sure to like rate share subscribe and download us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else you get your quality audio content follow us on twitter at bavarian fb works follow me on twitter at jefferson fenner and until hopefully there's a next time we will see you later alfie zane